Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Come on, who's excited about what God's going to do this morning? I think we ought to be excited every time we walk in the doors of church. I think we ought to get fired up a little bit every once in a while. Is that okay? Y'all want God to change your life this morning? Like, do you ever just get tired of feeling like the Christian life is more about how you mess up and what you don't get right than what you do get right and how God has set you free? You ever feel that way? Am I the only one? Am I the only one that feels like sometimes I just can't keep the rules? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not supposed to be mad at that person when they stole your car and trashed it. How you're supposed to forgive them and love them, invite them to church. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do anything kind of remotely close to that. And I'm going to smile because there's a bunch of people looking at me and I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to pretend like I don't want to kill them. But isn't that true? Like, don't you sometimes feel like Christianity has been summed up by the things you get wrong and how you're not living right and how things aren't going the way they should go in your life? You ever feel that way? Isn't that a just, that's a terrible way to live. Like, you feel like you're a constant disappointment to God. Like, God's looking down from heaven going, man, he's never going to get his act together. Like, sometimes I think that's how we see Christianity. And so today, we're going to look in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 15, and we're going to talk a little bit about it because I think Paul might have some really helpful information for us about feeling like you're a constant disappointment, a constant letdown. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I wasn't a Christian and that was how Christianity was defined, I don't know that I'd sign up for that. I think I'd be like, well, look, I have a hard enough time without feeling guilty about what I don't do right. But in reality, the gospel is more than just a guilt trip. Right? Isn't the gospel more than that? Like, if you're a Christian, you ought to be going, yeah. Your silence tells me something. And I hope today, by the end of this message, that you will no longer be silent about it, but you will shout about what the gospel has done in your life. Because sometimes, you know, the scripture says sometimes you just got to get loud. We don't have a problem screaming at our kids. We don't have a problem blowing the horn and screaming at the guy that doesn't use a turn signal because his turn signal fluid's out. You got a problem getting fired up at your wife when you trip over her shoes and hit your head on the closet door at 3 in the morning because you're getting old and need to go to the bathroom. And we'll have a problem shouting for all that kind of stuff. Maybe we ought to shout because of what the gospel has done in our lives. So in today's text... We're going to look at some how-tos, how-to, Paul's how-to live this Christian life. And I think it's going to shock you at what Paul's how-to is. Because I bet you, if I ask this question, every one of us would say, yeah, I want to overcome that feeling. Yes, I want to overcome the sin that seems to just keep happening over and over in my life. I want that for my life. And I bet, if you listen... By the end of this message, you will find out that that nagging sin will be done with. 
before you leave here today. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? It's pretty audacious of me. And if it relied on me, I wouldn't make it. But it doesn't. And so I have confidence in what God's going to do today in your life and how God's going to remind you of something that maybe you have forgotten. So let's dig in. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 15. Here we go. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we, have, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. That's a lot. There's a whole lot of things I could talk about right there. And I'm only going to talk about a few of the things that I think are going to be really applicable to your life. Okay, The first one is this. And I want you to learn this phrase with me. We're going to learn a phrase this morning together. Are you with me? Can you learn it with me? All right. That's not me. That's not me. Look at the person beside you and say, that's not me. Now, if you didn't have anybody look at you, punch the person beside you and tell them that's not me. I really think we need to understand this phrase. I think this phrase is a great arrow to have in our quiver. I think it's important. And this is why I think it's important, because when Jesus Christ saved your life, something amazing and supernatural happened. And who you used to be is no longer who you are. And so when you do something contrary to who you currently are, what you need to remind yourself is, well, that's not me. That's not who I am anymore. That is not me. And it's fascinating to me that Paul uses the term baptized because what happened when Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus and Jesus radically changed your life is you were baptized into Jesus' death. Now, Paul's using baptism here in a symbolic way, so don't get hung up on the baptism part. But you know what's fascinating about that word here? It's an interesting and a unique word choice for Paul because it's, it's, a, it's a, almost like a, it's a blacksmith word. It's when a blacksmith has heated a sword and it's glowing hot, and then he takes that sword and he 
dips it into some water or some oil and to temper the blade. Now, I don't know a lot about knife making and blade making. I know that there's somebody here. If he's here, I can't see out there real well. He does it, and you can talk to him about the process. But it's fascinating to me that he uses a word that means to dip the sword. Why would Paul do that? Why pick this randomly strange word? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when you dip that sword, the composition of the metal changes. The metal changes. See, the sword is dipped because when it's in its natural state, it's too hard and too brittle to do anything with. But once it's been dipped, the hardness softens. It becomes flexible. The sword's tough now. It's, it's actually stronger now because of its flexibility. So it's strengthened. It is given structural stability. Now when Jesus changed the composition of who you are, when he changed who you are on the inside, what he did was he made you soft. And in making you soft, he made you strong. He made you flexible. He actually changes your composition. That's why... That's not me applies because you're not the old broken, brittle person you used to be. Now you are strong and structurally sound and stable. God has changed your makeup. You're not the same. Your spiritual DNA is different because when you were dipped with Christ, God did something supernatural. He changed who you are. You're different. You see, I got to read you. This is good, y'all. I had to. Sometimes when you write sermons, you read something that somebody else wrote and you just copy and paste it. Don't ask me who said this. I don't remember. I should give them credit. A couple more sermons, I can use it as my own. <laughs> see, here's the thing the sword changed environments. See, it was on the outside of the water, but when it was put into the water, its environment changed, right? Listen to this, this is crazy. The environment plays a critical role because when God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of light, everything in your life changes. So what Paul is saying is when you took a dip with Jesus, when you were baptized with Jesus in his death, everything about you changed. Everything. That's why you feel guilty when you sin now. That's why you don't like sin anymore. That's why when you taste sin, it feels good, but for a moment, and then you're like, oh, why did I do it again? That's why you're beating your head against the wall at 2 a.m., because you know that's not me. you got to learn this phrase. The problem is you need to learn it before you sin. That's not me anymore. That's who I used to be, but my composition, my inner man has changed. Because God has taken me out of the kingdom of darkness and placed me in the kingdom of light. My environment dictated who I was, and now God has transformed my composition so that I can live in a different environment and have an impact for his kingdom. And that requires some flexibility, doesn't it? So what Paul is trying to help you understand is when you surrender to Christ, your supernatural dip has changed who you are. Your composition is different. Now, it's not so much about 
the fact that you changed. What's really beautiful about this is the two parts that require the change. See, without the sword, you just have the water. And without the water, you just have the without the water, you just have a sword. But when the two marry, something magical happens. See, the sword stays the way it is until it's dipped. And the water stays the way it is until the sword is dipped into it. But when the two are united, if y'all don't know where I'm going with this, I worry about you. See, it's your union with Christ that brings about change in your life. Not just figuring out how to do better. Right? It's when the sword and the water unite that the magic happens. That's when something beautiful happens. It's not the sword just being dipped in the water and then being pulled out of the water and being different. It's the two becoming one. See, when Jesus saved you, you entered into a union with him. And that union altered your condition and changed the relationship you had with your previous environment. Now, we've said all that, and you know that to be true. But the thing that's really crazy that, to me is how we tend to think that the union we have with Christ didn't sever sin's hold on our life. Most people, most Christians believe that sin has power over them. Now you might not say that, but how you behave indicates that. Can I just tell you, once you're in union with Jesus, you respond to your previous environment differently. You don't live the same way you used to live. You live different. You don't love your wife the same way you used to love your wife. You don't treat your kids the same way. You know why? Because you've changed. You're different. You're not the same. And that's really good news. But it's only good news if we have some help doing it. It would be really bad news if Jesus said, Okay, I changed you. Now you figure out how to do this. Hope it works out for you. That'd be pretty terrible news. Because then Jesus would change who we are and not give us any strength to actually do what he asked us to do. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I don't think Paul is saying that Jesus changed our composition and just left us to figure it out now. Because Paul said we are also united with him in his life. We are dipped and we share in his death, but we are also united in life. So we're united in life, and we're united in death, and we're united in death, and we're united in life. And because of this, what is truly happening in our life is something really amazing. Something really amazing. You know what it is? You are actually able to live the life that God has called you to live. You are really actually able to live the life that God has called you to live. You are able. It would be pretty messed up of God to change you and then not help you live the life that he's asked you to live. The problem is there's a thief. That's the problem. There's a thief out there. There's an identity thief. There's somebody that's 
waiting to convince you you're not who God says you are. This isn't a behavioral issue. See, you came to church this morning thinking your sin was a behavioral issue. That you needed to fix some behaviors and then God would be happy. The truth is, is it's an identity issue. The thief has convinced you of something that's not true about yourself. You have an identity issue. You're not sure of who you are. It's hard to say that's not me if you don't know who you are. And for so long, I think for so many of us, we've let sin be our defining feature. But when you've said yes to Jesus and you've been dipped, sin is no longer your defining feature. Jesus is. That's great news. I think sin is a great identity thief. Sin's greatest deceit is to convince you you're something different than what God says is true about you. That's the identity thief. Sin says this. We are defined by what we do. Meaning, if you, imp you will improve your character by changing your behavior. Grace says it this way. We are defined by who God says we are. Grace reminds us that we, who we are causes behavioral changes. So many of us are trying to fix our character by doing things the right way. When God says, I fixed your character, now go live in the freedom of doing things the right way. It's a completely different approach. One's coming from a need of acceptance. The other is coming from a place of acceptance. See, when you're trying to fix your behaviors, what you're doing is trying to get your character in alignment to please God. But what you've got to understand is God is pleased with you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and so you're already accepted. Now live as if you're an accepted child of God. But the thief comes and convinces you that you're not loved because you sinned again. So Paul says, who you are has changed. Your condition and composition has changed. It has. Hey, I wasn't supposed to do this this Sunday. Y'all hear that? I could stay right here for like 10 more minutes. It's okay, Brian. You can cry as much as you want, brother. I'll cry with you, man. Sorry. We were going to plan to do that, but they loud. Isn't that true, though, what they were singing? That's our kids up there singing, Death Was Arrested, and My Life Began. They're singing loud, too, aren't they? I wonder if you believe that. You believe that when you said yes to Jesus, that your life actually began? You really believe that? Kind of fits with my sermon a little bit. Do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that your life began when you said yes to Jesus, that Jesus actually changed the composition of who you are, 
then you should live into that life. Jesus did not die just to save you. He died so that you could actually live an abundant life that is satisfied and sufficient in Him. It's who you are now. It's who you are. I do want to point something out that happened in verse 5. It's really interesting. For if, now that's not a question that Paul's asking. Sometimes if isn't a question. Sometimes the way it is, it's, it's in view of the fact that this has occurred. He says, for if. Isn't that awesome? For if we have been united with him in death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For if, because of the fact that we are united in his death, because of that fact, it is a fact that we share in the resurrection like his. Why? Because we have been. That's past tense. It's already happened. You have been united with Christ. Nothing can change that. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did on the way to church. I don't care what you did this week. If you have been dipped with Jesus, nothing changes it. No sin takes that from you. Nothing steals you from the hand of Jesus. If you're a believer today, you're connected, you're united with Christ. It's interesting, that word there, united, actually carries the idea of Siamese twins, like conjoined twins. They're born, isn't this fascinating? This is fascinating. They're born connected. Like they're bound together. You can't separate them. And what's interesting about Siamese or conjoined twins is this fact that they share the same blood. See, the reason God is pleased with you is because of the blood that you are sharing. You are united. Your new identity is linked to Jesus. How God sees you is linked to Jesus. Now let me make my point really clear here. When you say yes to God and yes to Jesus... God sees and accepts you through the filter that is Jesus' death. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you as the failure that you feel like. He doesn't see you as the sinful person that you are. What He sees is filtered through the cross of Calvary. And when you are unified and connected with Jesus, it's Jesus' blood that makes the difference. Not only that, you're identified with him now. In verse 10, it says that he died once for all. Now, that certainly means that Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. Like, most of us get that, right? We come to church, we've been in church any amount of time. If you've been in church any amount of time, what you understand is that Jesus' life on, the, on this earth and his death on the cross pays the penalty for your sin. That is true. 
100% true. And Paul absolutely means that here. But that's not all Paul means. And I think for most Christians, this is where we miss it. Yes, Jesus paid the penalty for sin. But that's not all it means. He saved us from God's wrath, yes. He died in our place, absolutely. He gave us life eternal, yes. Jesus did all of that. But that's not all he did. He also broke the back of sin. And it has no, no control over you. Problem is, you don't feel that way, do you? back of sin has been broken so many Christians see it this way you struggle with something and you got to fight that sin to be free right that's how we see it well I got to keep fighting this sin and I'm going to get free from it someday the problem with that kind of thinking is it's not biblical because if what Romans 6 is saying is true God has freed you from that sin, and now what you're fighting for is to stay free from sin, not to be free from sin. The problem is most of us are fighting to be free from sin. When Jesus has broken the strength of it, you're not fighting for freedom, you're fighting from freedom. And it's time that you declare war. Square your shoulders and look your sin in the face and tell it, you have no power over me. Not because you're awesome, but because you're unified with Jesus Christ. And he didn't just die for the penalty, he died for your freedom. You are free. You are free. You are free. Don't let the identity thief convince you that sin still has power over you. You need to get some life lock. Can I just tell you that there is a God in heaven? In heaven, that's a new place. We'll tell you about that. 2020, come back. Heaven. Maybe that's a street in heaven. I don't know. That's the silver streets in heaven, y'all. <laughs> you got to laugh at yourself sometimes. Whew. I'm going to blame that on my car getting stolen. There's a God in heaven that has put life lock on your life. Your identity is sure, it is protected, and it is guarded because Jesus Christ Jesus Christ did not just come to tell you how to live. He came to empower you with the Spirit and give you the ability to actually live that life. Sin has no power over you. You're free. I'm glad ten of you are happy. Y'all don't get to heaven tonight. There you go. We'll do heaven on earth. There you go. You know, that it says that we walk in the newness of life. That's hard to do. I know that. I get it. I understand. 
But here's the thing. When you said yes to Jesus, Jesus gave you the, the desire to do what he's asked you to do. But not only that, when you said yes to Jesus, he actually gives you the power to accomplish what he's asked you to do. The cross has achieved it all. The cross didn't achieve some of it, part of it, three quarters of it. The cross achieves it all. So point one was really simple. Really simple. That's not me. My composition has changed. That's what the cross has done. Sin has no power over me. Point two is power to be. You really have been changed from the inside out. And you really have been empowered to be who you now are. To walk in the newness of life. But to do that, I mean, that's simple to say, right? Like, that's, that's easy to preach. Let's be honest. That's easy to preach. But it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because you're still mortal. You still got flesh. You still got a body. And so your spirit, God has radically changed. But your flesh, man, it's, man, it, ooh. Flesh is annoying. Flesh still likes things. And when the flesh gets its way, it likes it. But when the spirit gets its way, it soars. The question is, is aren't you sick and tired of feeling down in the dumps because of your fleshly decisions? Don't you want to soar because you've made spirit decisions? God has given you the power to be who he's called you to be. Paul uses a really interesting word. He says, consider, in verse 11, he says, consider. Now, this is where our sermon gets really practical. This is how you play your part. Consider doesn't mean to just sit around and casually think about it as it comes into your head. That's not what consider means. It, to, it means to take the time to ponder the thought and to become fully convinced of it as if it is a fact. So it's not just a casual, oh yeah, God said I'm free. It's a, what in the world did Jesus do at Calvary that set me free? The problem with most, most Christians is we're not all that convinced of this because consider is a firm-footed, unshakable confidence that is rooted in and stuck to the foundation of God's declaration not how you feel that's what consider means what God said trumps how I feel I'm going to quote a song because I like quoting songs I am who you say I am and I am absolutely convinced that I am who God made me. And I am absolutely convinced that I am who God said I am. And if God says I'm free, then I am free. I may not feel like it, but I am. See, here's the good news. The fight's rigged. 
It's rigged. It's rigged. You know why it's rigged? Because when you said yes, Jesus paid the penalty. And Jesus empowered you. But he didn't just give you like this little drop of power to get you toward heaven. He actually gave you the Spirit himself. God himself resides inside of you. So I want to ask you a question. Do you really think that if God himself is residing inside of you, calling you his temple, that sin comes in and dominates that temple easily? No, it doesn't. The fight's rigged because the Spirit of God is inside of you. There is no sin in you that can overpower you because the Spirit of God resides in you. I get it. The struggle's real, right? The struggle's real. Some of y'all looked at porn last night, didn't you? Oh, we're going to talk about it this morning. You looked at porn, now I know what happened. You didn't want to look at it, but you just didn't know what to do. It's just a habit, so you just did it. You want to be free from it. You're tired of it. But there you found yourself in front of the screen again looking at it. Come on, men. I ain't just going to pick on us dudes. Some of y'all ladies wish your husband would treat you like the other guy does, his wife. You wish that your husband was as kind and loving as that husband. That's called coveting. Some of us eat ourselves into happiness. We are gluttons. Some of us just get so stinking mad at everything that happens around us. We don't want to talk about it, do we? We don't want to talk about it. See, here's the thing. The worst thing we can do with our sin is pretend like it's not sin. So you got to acknowledge that it's sin, but then you got to acknowledge the declaration. See, it's, yeah, I know that's a sin, and I know it's nasty and ugly, and I don't want it in my life. And the reason I don't want it in my life is evidence that God has transformed something inside of me and given me a different desire. The question is, now do you believe that He's actually empowered you with His Spirit to break the stronghold? So many Christians find themselves in a mess of sin because they are so busy being about their lives and not being about the life that Jesus has given them. That's just the hard truth right there, people. Now listen, I ain't preaching to you like I ain't want to, I, I might as well be sitting there listening. I get it. We're so busy with extracurricular activities instead of busy with the church. And we wonder why we find ourselves in a mess of sin. Because the life that God has given you is not a life built around you and what you want. It's built on what God has asked you to do. I mean, do you really think you're going to be free from your struggle if you only come to church twice a month? Come on. Let's talk about it for a minute. When you're not serving, when you're not serving and living the life that Jesus has asked you to live, See, when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to life on His terms. 
You don't get to live life on your terms and then expect the benefits of life on his terms. When you live life on your terms, guess what? You're going to experience brokenness. Because God said, that's not you anymore. And if you want joy unspeakable and full of glory, guess what? you got to live into the life that I've called you to live. The good news is, you don't just have to figure it out. I've empowered you to do it. See, when you're occupied with the life that Jesus has for you, you will find yourself far less occupied with the sin that's in your life. The reason sin stays right in your front vision, right in your eye, is because that's what you keep looking at. But if you'll change what you're looking at, you won't be so busy staring at the same thing you've been staring at for years. God, God, God really has freed you. From the control of sin in your life. And you do not have to say yes to it. You have a choice now. You really do have a choice to say yes to life in him. Or yes to death in your sin. That's the choice you have to make. God will not make that for you. He gives you everything you need to say yes. But he ain't going to say yes for you. He gave you the desire to say yes. He gave you the power to say yes. He even gave you, gave you legs to move forward into that yes. But he ain't going to say yes for you. Sin has no hold on you that you don't give it. Now I know that ain't popular. I know that this sermon probably ain't going to get a lot of likes. Probably ain't going to get shared all that much. But it's true. And you know it, and I know it. We don't like it, but we know it's true. The issue is a question of what reigns on the throne of your heart. That's the question. That's where Paul goes with this. Don't let sin reign. Right? That's what he says. Now for some of you, maybe you came in this morning, maybe you got drugged here by somebody that's been inviting you for a few months and you didn't even want to come to church. I got great news for you. Jesus Christ loves you and Jesus wants you. And he wants you to say yes and when you say yes, he's going to do something. He's going to dip you and change you, and it's going to be an amazing encounter. And then there's the rest of us. It's already said yes. We've said yes. But you find yourself this morning going, sin's sitting on the throne of my heart. And I know it shouldn't be. Now see, a lot of times what we tend to do is we look at that throne and go, yeah, well, I don't know. Mm. You are free. 
problem is, is it's just the wrong person on the throne. Reigning is about Lord. It's about lordship. See, sometimes you just got to tell your sin that your heart belongs to Jesus and not you, and that it has no right on the throne of your heart. That's Jesus' place. He's the only one that should be sitting on that throne in your heart. You have a desire to please God. Well, the most pleasing thing you can do is give him his throne. Because when you fall prey to your sin, you've believed the thief. And you've allowed him to take the seat. But when you lean into life, Jesus is reigning. It's all in who you present yourself to. That's what Paul says. Present yourself to sin, you will taste death. Present yourself to Christ, and you will taste righteousness. See, that's why when you sin, you feel terrible. Because death feels terrible. But when you surrender and say yes to Jesus, and that sin is broken, experienced as it's broken. That's why your spirit soars. And if you've been a Christian for any time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sin pleases you for a brief moment. And then you feel the guilt and the decay and the destruction of it, right? Isn't that how that works? But then when you say no to sin and yes to Christ, what happens? Feels amazing. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels natural. And, and, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. It didn't get me this time. Well, can I just encourage you? It's never had you unless you presented yourself to it. Because God set you free. And for those whom Christ set free, they are free indeed. I ain't saying there ain't a struggle. I ain't saying there ain't temptation. I'm just saying that's not me anymore. And not only is that not me, I've got the power to be. Come on up here, band. I won't quit if y'all don't come on. I know this is not a, a fun topic to talk about. You know, in chapter 7, Paul talks about life in the Spirit, and it's good, and it, y'all going to like it. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. But you can't get to life in the Spirit without first looking at your sin.
You know, I don't know why, but it seems like sometimes us Christians develop this attitude of sinlessness. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, like we, just because God has freed me from sin doesn't mean I'm sinless. I'm sinful. I ain't gonna lie. No point in even pretending. And so, somehow the, the thief has convinced us of my last point. I'm the only one that struggles. I bet I'm the only guy in the church that struggles with porn. I'm the only wife in the church that struggles with wishing her husband would treat her different or like another husband treats his wife. I'm the only one that eats myself into happiness. I'm the only one that has pride issues. I'm the only one that has anger issues. Can I just tell you that you are not the only one? And yes, I'm a pastor. But can I just be honest? Sometimes I say yes to sin and Jesus isn't sitting on the throne of my heart. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today. There's a sin that's sitting on the throne. I want to ask you one question. Have you considered the fact that Jesus Christ paid the penalty and really did set you free? I think it's time for those of us that have let sin sit on our heart's throne to mount a rebellion and run sin right out the door because here's what I know my heart belongs to him and it's his and his alone and I refuse to tolerate sin in my life because this heart is his home so if you're struggling today with a sin I got good news. That's not me. I've got the power to be free from that sin. And so here's how you charge the throne today. I wasn't going to do this. I hadn't planned it. That's why I closed that. I got nothing left in there. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. If there's something sitting on the throne of your heart other than Jesus Christ, I want you to charge the throne by stepping out and coming down to this altar. See, altars, we've always talked about altars, but here's the thing about an altar. It's a place of death. And when you step out, what I'm praying is that when you come down here, sin would die. That that sin would die. And that you would be fully aware of this fact those whom God has set free are
are truly free. We're truly free. So today, it's time for us to run to the altar. Not walk, run. Because our sin is serious, and it's time for Jesus to be back where he belongs. So will you take your sin that serious? If you want freedom today, you should be down here. Let's sing together. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.